0: There will be, in the next generation or so, a pharmacological method of making people love their servitude, and producing dictatorship without tears, so to speak, producing a kind of painless concentration camp for entire societies, so that people will, in fact, have their liberties taken away from them, but will rather enjoy it, because they will be distracted from any desire to rebel by propaganda or brainwashing, or brainwashing enhanced by pharmacological methods. And this seems to be the final revolution. Aldous Huxley. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Secrets of Saturn Radio. My name is Jason Lindgren. This is the first episode. I have with me tonight a gentleman by the name of Russell Blatberg, who has a very interesting and rather scary story to tell. Good
1: evening, Russell. Hi, Jason. How are you doing, man? I'm wonderful. How are you, sir? oh god you know i've been better man i could say
0: (laughs) well we did have a little chat before we started this interview and um just to give a quick uh idea of who you are um you are somebody who ran a page for jordan maxwell and that's how i found you when we became friends a few months ago uh while i was doing research and reaching out into the wide world just trying to find other people uh like-minded individuals to to chat with and um we had a several-hour conversation that night, and we've been keeping in touch since then. Um, you're an esoteric scholar, I guess we could say. Um, I believe you said you run six Facebook pages. and um, Yep, that's correct. You have a lot of yep. knowledge. Uh, you've been studying things for quite a few years, and um, you just went through a very negative experience, to say the least. So why don't we just let you tell your story?
1: Well, thank you very much, Jason. I'll just give people a little bit of background into my life so they can get a sense of who I am and how I got to this point because, you know, we all we all have a story to tell, right? Well, Indeed. pretty much um, I grew up in a very wealthy Jewish family. Um, my mother's father killed himself, and uh, she inherited millions and millions and millions of dollars. And the way that my family got its wealth is, uh, well, it's... You know, it's interesting because, um, well, first of all, I'm I'm related to uh, quite a few famous people. I'm related to Jonas Salk, um, the man who created the polio vaccine, which we know is part of the uh, essentially the Nazi eugenics program, you know, under the guise of, oh, we're, we're helping people. Right. I'm also related to J.D. Salinger. Um, a big part of the way my family got its money was uh, during the Great Depression. Uh, you know, and again, I'm I'm not even exactly sure of my entire family's history because it, a lot of it has been kept for me and, and I don't even know everybody's names and such. So You're going to have to just take this at face value. But um, one of my relatives during the Great Depression ran something called like a penny a day insurance and, and made a real fortune. And then this money was reinvested in stocks and bonds. Um, one of my family members sold the land to Walt Disney for uh, – I think it's Disneyland in Florida. Um And then ultimately, um, my mother's father was a stockbroker and he, like I said, he made a lot of money in stocks and bonds and, uh, he had MS and ultimately killed himself. Uh, he was a very unhappy person as most, most rich people tend to be ironically. Um, I've heard that. Well, you know, money, money isn't everything and money doesn't buy happiness. That's for, that's for damn sure. And people who are usually, uh, obsessed with always making more money um they rarely enjoy uh their life and they have very little love and that's why they're so greedy
0: they're so focused on the acquisition of wealth that they don't actually see what that wealth could be used for
1: of course you know they're just trying to uh enhance their lot in life and enhance their power and the prestige of their families and they don't give a fuck about people man that's the that's the reality of the situation and now um ultimately my uncle has, uh, essentially created a hedge fund, which is ironically, it's called poetic justice. Uh, and he manages, um, well, probably, probably about $300 million or so, which is a uh, no small sum. Um, my mother is a multimillionaire and she has uh, most of her money invested in this fund. She probably has about, I don't know, 40 or $50 million. It's really, it's quite hard to say. Um, but, uh, Basically, um, I grew up and I lived uh, a privileged life, but um, you know, it's not all uh, it's not all paradise because um, my father had a very very difficult life. Uh, as a, as a child, he was uh, continually raped by his father and molested, and you know, he would he would be taken down to the basement for uh, quote unquote haircuts. And my my grandmother uh, would just churn up the uh, the volume on Jeopardy or Wheel of uh, Misfortune or whatever you know game show she was watching. And um, when he grew up, uh, he he went to medical school in France to avoid the uh, the Vietnam War draft. And uh, when he came back, um, ultimately, uh, my mother was in went to school at Harvard and she she graduated. And one of her friends, uh, I guess knew my father and connected them. And my mother, um, was, you know, a very delusional person. And in a lot of ways, I guess my, my father was, uh, running from his past and he was very confused about his sexuality. Um, you know, my grandmother told me a story about how, um, uh, Paul, that was my father's name, took, took her and my mother out to a, to a gay bar and, you know, basically, um, my grandmother told my mom not to marry him because she thought he was gay, which he ultimately was, or I mean, at least he was very, very confused to say the least. Um, But my mother, uh, she was uh, basically, you know, just like a lot of people, I guess, she was very insecure and, you know, she wasn't confident in her, her looks and she she was just desperate to be with uh, anyone who would who would love her and she wanted kids and he wanted kids and so that's how they kind of rushed into getting married and it was all it was all based on a lie to begin with. And ultimately um you know as you know anything that's based on a lie will ultimately crumble and that is uh, that's really what happened. Um my father was a was a doctor and my mother is a psychologist. Um so you know you can kind of see where the uh, the family background uh leads and, and ultimately will go. Um, my father was horribly addicted to prescription pills and um, essentially used them to kill himself. Um, at, at a certain point, my, my father was cheating on my mother with a man and she, she broke up with him and they separated and a month later he, he killed himself. And now um, I just wanted to give that background because it all ties into what I'm talking about and how I got to where I am. And why I am who I am, I, I suppose. Um, and we must understand the past, to understand the present and future. Well, that's right. And, uh, yeah, he who controls the past uh, controls the present. You know? <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's very true. And history is just his story, you know, and we know history is written by the victors. And so yes. it is It is important to, um, to, you know, remember what has happened and accurately retell it because um, it can be twisted and manipulated to... Uh, to create a, a band, very dystopic future. And that, that is what's happening. Um, but anyway, um, basically after that point, my mother basically had a mental breakdown and I, I was totally, uh, traumatized and I, you know, it kind of woke me up at, fr- at a very early age to the fact that, um, all is not well in the world. You know, we live in a very sick world and, um, basically my mother at that point, you know, I look a lot my like my father. I have similar tendencies to my father. And she really projected her uh, trauma and her fears onto me. And she basically, um, you know, since my father killed himself, she basically has been treating me as if I am my father and I'm going to go down the exact same path. And so her biggest fears uh, were that, you know, you know, she couldn't control me because she couldn't control my father and so she has spent her whole life and her whole energy really in trying to control me um, she basically uh, forced me into therapy she she has always tried to find something wrong with me she's she's uh, convinced that I have ADHD and learning disabilities she um, she forced me to take uh, Adderall and uh, I, I rejected it I didn't want to do it and this was at age uh, 12 and 13. Um, and, you know, she made me do it for a week and she literally wouldn't take no for an answer. Uh, and then, you know, when I wouldn't take that anymore, it, w- it was literally driving me crazy. It made me go into fits of rage and then I wanted to cry. It was horrible. You know, it's like giving kids speed, you know, cause, cause what, I mean, I was getting good grades in school. I was getting A's and B's. So why do I need to take the drugs? Um, and, and then she forced me to take Ritalin and I did that for another week. And then after that, I... I wisened up, and I was just like, no more, no more, no more. You can't force me to take this. Um, but like I said, she forced me into therapy with probably about seven or so different therapists. Um, and when I was 14, I started uh, smoking pot, and I started playing poker. And these were two things which uh, she had a real problem with. Um, I was very successful at poker from almost right from the onset and uh, during high school I made uh, over $100,000 playing online. Uh, My mother tried to always prevent me from playing and I I bought a laptop uh, secretly with my my earnings and I was playing off the neighbor's Wi-Fi on uh, school nights, you know. (laughs) And um, basically I – I, I def- definitely had an affinity for cannabis from a very early age, and I, like I said, I started smoking at 14 and have never stopped. And um, the more that I've learned about it, the the more that I realize that this is this is one of the answers to a lot of the problems on our planet. You know, paired with uh, its its male p- counterpart, the hemp plant, right? Um, but basically, to make a long story short, um, when I was 18, I. Uh, you know, my mother had always been pushing me to go to college as, a, you know, any good Jewish mother would, I suppose, <laughs> right? you know, anxiety written upward, uh, climbing, you know, you got to go to school and do this, you know, just be a part of, uh, society and find your place in it. Um, but I never have fit into society and I never really have been interested in, in being part of it because, uh, society is just sickness. And literally I, I did a semester at Bentley college, um, and I was uh, studying finance and entrepreneurship, but um, it was a waste of my time, and it was a huge waste of money. I mean, the school costs you know almost sixty thousand dollars a year. You know, granted, my mother was paying for it, but um, you but know, still. if I had, but still, yeah. I mean, imagine and a lot of people take out loans or, or, or most work, people do 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 whatever to go to these schools, and it's just the biggest waste of time, money, and energy. Um, and all they want to do is control you and make you just jump through hoops so you can get your Masonic degree, so you can go and work for some uh, Fortune 500 company if you're lucky, right? But anyway, um, you know, and they were just teaching me all this bullshit where where I had, uh, you know, I'd been playing poker from an early age. I'd been managing my own money. I started my own uh, poker training website. I'd been doing poker coaching. Uh, I had started doing investing uh, from like age 16. And, you know, it, it was just a big waste of time, you know. It was all hypothetical stuff. Oh, if you had a a million dollars to do a business and, you know, just all this bullshit, right? No no real world practicality whatsoever. And, you know, in, in college I was uh, selling weed and I got in trouble for that. My (laughs) room, my roommate basically like ratted me out. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, you know, over, over that, uh, that college break. Well, first of all, I got in trouble for that and that was an issue. And, um, I basically broke my collarbone uh, snowboarding, and I, I ultimately decided uh, that I was going to take a semester off. But really, it was my intention never to go back. That was just only to keep my mother, you know, give her the hope that maybe <laughs> I would <was laughs> stay in school, right? But it was your big, uh, your big out, right? Exactly. But you know, and the thing is that I, at this point, I had uh, about fifty thousand dollars as a bankroll that you know I'd managed to hold on to from poker, and uh, so I was able to start a life for myself. And um for several years, you know, that it just was fine. I, I played poker professionally, I did very well. Uh, I lived uh, you know, in California and Vegas and Colorado and Massachusetts and Illinois. I, I and ultimately um I, I I I you know I cashed in the uh, 2010 main event. I made forty some odd thousand dollars. I was staked for that, so I didn't keep all of it. Um and in 2011, I, I won a World Poker Tour event for 112 thousand dollars, which I was staked for that as well. And I'm, so I didn't keep all of that either. Um, but Would it be safe to say that uh, anyone into that, um, into the poker thing, into,
0: into that society, you actually are fairly well known?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, basically, uh, I played you know up to two hundred, four hundred dollar blinds online. I mean, that's a you know maximum of a forty thousand dollar buy in game. Um, which is the highest stakes online? I, I've won, uh, you know, I've won tournaments for uh, eighty thousand dollars. I've had days where I've won eighty thousand dollars, days where I've lost sixty thousand dollars. So yeah, most <laughs> most people within that community would know me. You know, if you Google Russell Blackberg, you'll you know you'll find uh, pictures of me. You know, from poker, and uh, you know you know you can find poker training videos that I've done, all kinds of stuff. But anyway, that's not really what I want to talk about. Of course, that's just kind of that's just kind of how you know a little bit of background. And so basically, um, the way that I really started waking up to what was going on in the world was through the financial markets. Um, you know, as you know, in, in, uh, 2007 and 2008, essentially there was the, uh, the housing crisis and the mortgage, the mortgage, (laughs) the bubbles popped, it it popped, you know, and, and of course, um, what people have to realize that it was all created by design. I, I, read a book called the big short where, um, Essentially, they talk about how uh, all of these banking reforms were were taken apart, so that essentially, um, one the the derivatives market was allowed to swell to um, you know well over a, a trillion dollars. Which just it's just important to understand there isn't a trillion dollars in the entire world because what a, <laughs> what, a what a what a derivative is is a bet on a bet on a or I'm or. I'm sorry, trillion. No, I'm sorry. Um, a qu- I, I didn't mean a trillion. I mean a quadrillion. I'm sorry. Excuse me. That's what I meant. A much quadrillion. Right. Yeah. I mean, because the thing is, you know, we know, um, I, I, you have to excuse me there. Uh, you know, in the financial bailouts, um, there have been trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars that have been given to these banks. For, for what exactly? You know, and that's an important question. And um, yeah, very much so, actually, because it has a lot to do with what's going on now. It really is. You know, I mean, and uh there's a great video which people can look up it's called 9 trillion dollars missing from the Federal Reserve where where Alan Grayson is uh, who's a congressman is grilling the Inspector General of the Federal Reserve on how could you possibly just be missing 9 trillion dollars Yes, I've a-
0: seen some of the clips of that and then he he's he is indeed grilling
1: <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely, you know, and if anybody who watches that video, anybody who I've ever showed that video, they're kind of they're kind of shocked because um you know, how can how can they just not be able to account for you know thirty thousand dollars for every man, woman, and child in this country, <laughs> and and the thing is that actually you know the sum of these financial bailouts have have reached over uh, thirty trillion dollars, and they literally are printing um, you know on, on the public record they say it's uh, three billion dollars a day, but it's actually more like uh, six you know because they they just lie to us about everything and they but they're not you know, even
0: printing it are they It's just digital creations in in the system correct that's
1: that's exactly right because if i
0: remember correctly what last time i looked up a statistic it was something like five percent or three percent only of the federal reserve currency on the planet is actually a physical currency the rest is all just numbers in the system
1: well you're you're right but actually it's more like one percent now because ultimately their goal is to digitalize all the money and um You know there have been there have been news recently where in uh, Britain they're now making it so you can't ride the bus and pay in cash anymore. And (laughs) this is this is the trend. But anyway, um, going back to what I was saying, this is kind of how I started to realize what was going on in the world. And I always had an interest in this because my family was was you know directly involved in it. Um, And so it kind of started waking me up to what was going on in the world. Um, A a big. Eye-opening moment for me was um, basically in 2010. Um, like I said, I had been running this poker training website, and I met this man who was a forex trader. And basically, we agreed to uh, swap, uh, you know, forex coaching for poker coaching because he wanted to get better at poker. You know, and he was just a fish when it came to that; he was totally hopeless. But wow, what is forex, by the way? I'm actually not familiar with that. It's cur- currency trading. Oh, okay. And, um, basically he said, all right, you know, I'm happy to, uh, teach you some stuff, but first I want you to watch, uh, two videos. And he, he basically sent me these two documentaries. One was called ring of power and the other is called the arrivals. If you haven't watched them, I, I recommend you do. They're really, uh, they're quite good. I still have people watch them to this day because that's how much they, uh, had an impact on me. And it really woke me up to what was going on in the world. And, you know, it talks all about the, uh, the ancient history of how we got here, it talks about the reptilians, it talks about, obviously, the shadow government, it talks about, you know, how 9-11 is a total fraud and all this stuff. And I, I had suspected all this and I, you know, as I had um, done more and more research, you know, I, I started shorting banking stocks, I, I bet against AIG. Um, you how know, did you know to do that? Well, because they're all fraudulent. Um, but the thing is that basically, um, the fact of the matter is that it, it doesn't matter anymore because these companies they they lie about their quarterly earnings. You know they they'll literally um, they you know these different banks they talk about how they have literally zero losing trading days in a quarter. That's impossible. As no, a poker player, no, not as a poker player, you cannot have a winning session every session. It doesn't matter if you're the best player in the world. The best players in the world only win. 55 percent of the time i mean that makes you the best player in the world if you're winning 55 percent of your sessions you're you're going to be a multimillionaire. um so to, to to claim that as a trader you're winning every day one of two things is happening you're either outright lying and just saying oh we made this much when it's not really true or you know you are the one rigging the markets i mean it can only be one of two scenarios and and it's both frankly but um so basically this kind of really got me down this whole path and the more that I woke up to what was going on in the world, the harder it was for me to live. Now I had an experience when I was living in Boulder, Colorado and this really um, just set me on my on my path to where I am today. Basically um, – I was driving home from a friend 's house and I had a gram of weed in my car i, I didn 't have a medical marijuana card at the time, which in hindsight uh, I would recommend anybody if you 're in a living in a state where there 's the option to do so. I recommend you do because um it doesn 't matter if you can if you get your weed not from a dispensary or whatever you just need to pay to be protected from the system itself because they will brutalize you for over a plant you know. And this, and this leads into what we're, what we're really talking about, which is ultimately the freedom to decide what you do with your body and what you put in your body. Because if you can't decide how to live your life, then are you free? I, you know, I don't think so. And so basically, and, and just, you know, Boulder is a huge wheat town. You know, everybody knows they just legalized pot in Colorado. And so this was just a couple years ago. And basically, um, I was pulled over uh, about a couple blocks away from my house, um, and the, this female police officer says, do you know why I pulled you over? And I say, I literally have no idea because I wasn't breaking any laws. And she said, I pulled you over for speeding. And she said, I was going 45 and a 30. And actually later, I realized that um, the speed limit there was 40 and I was only going 35. So, you know, but it was the end of the month and she had to make her quota. And that's the, <laughs> that's the that's the world we live in. And so basically, she said, I smell weed. I said, yeah, you know, I got a gram of weed. Here it is. You know, no big deal. Just give me a ticket. And um, she basically had me do a roadside test, which, just so you know, you have the right to deny, but they will uh, automatically pull your license. But um, you know, if you are high or you you know you have an issue, I would recommend you do deny that test because they'll pull your license, but they won't be able to give you a DUI. And I wasn't even high at the time, and basically I was scared, but I thought I did okay. You know, touching my nose and walking in a straight line, all this stuff. <laughs> and basically she slapped the uh, the handcuffs on me and said, you know, I'm arresting you for not a DUID but suspicion of a DUID, which is driving under the influence of drugs. You know, I spent that night in the in the drunk tank and, uh, they, you know, they kept saying, well, oh, you shouldn't have drank, drunkie. And, you know, <laughs> really it was really quite terrible. Um, and then – you know, the next morning I got out, and of course, uh, they, they take your car and put it in an impound, and they expect you to just get over there to, to go get your car out, you know, which is across town. So the system has no empathy. And um, I was able to get a ride over there, and basically the problem was I couldn't find uh, the registration for my car. I just couldn't find it, and my, my title was out of date. And so they said, okay, go to this office or whatever. So I went there, and basically, um, <laughs> They said, all right, well, you have to request a new title from Illinois because I had bought the car out of state. And I said, all right, well, how long is that going to take? And they said, two to three months. And I'm like, well, what do you mean two to three months? And they're like, yeah. So so basically, I now no longer had a car for two to three months. And every day that it's an impound, I had to pay $20. And so I I hired a lawyer and to see what I could do about this and to represent me um, because you know I was... what are you, what are you supposed to do? Right. And that, you know, that costed uh, another 2,500 bucks. And, um, and basically long story short, um, at my court date, you know, he basically comes back and says, well, look, man, the DA is corrupt. And even though your blood work came back and they couldn't prove that you were high, um, it doesn't necessarily matter. You know, you still may not be able to get off and I was going to have to spend several thousand more dollars to, you know, to pay him to, to get off. Or, you know, I was facing, uh, Probation and you know community service and paying you know like a thousand dollars in fines, and um, you know and I had had to rent a car at one point, and so I spent like ten thousand dollars trying to get this um, taken care of. And, and keep in mind, I didn't have my car for almost three months, huh. and and literally um, you know here he is telling me you know you're going to have to spend thousands of more dollars, and even that won't guarantee you know that you'll get off. And so at this point, you know, knowing what I did, I just got so frustrated with the whole system that I outright decided to just leave the country. I, I, I literally walked out of the courtroom um, without signing up for probation, without doing any of it. I didn't pay my fines. And I, a week later, I left the country and I moved to the Philippines. And um, basically, uh, you know, the Philippines is a really messed up country as well because Philippines is basically an American colony and it's been colonized several different times. Um, and now, you know, America is the current <laughs> rulers of this country, and um, basically, the uh, the language which is spoken in the Philippines now is primarily English. And um, the only subject in uh, in schools which isn't taught in English there is uh, Tagalog, which is their native language. Now, another thing which I thought was interesting was that basically, when America set up all these military bases in the Philippines, what they did is they repaved all the roads to to make them from six inches of concrete to two feet of concrete and the reason that they did that was so that they could they could roll tanks out through the entire country because ultimately (laughs) the philippines is you know is going to be a central point for for america to engage in world war three with uh china or all these uh asian countries and um basically uh Manila is the most populated city in the world and it is very much dominated by the Catholic Church. Um, and, and the thing is that the Philippines is is world known for its uh, amazing fruits. It has some of the best mangoes and coconuts in the world. But the people there, they are literally the, – all they do is they eat meat, they drink beer, uh, and they want to eat – Lots and lots and lots of Nestle chocolate and sweets. Um, (laughs) You know, McDonald's is very popular there. And it's interesting how in different countries um, they adjust the menu. Uh, You know, for example, one of the things I thought was funny is that uh, McDonald's in the Philippines, they serve something called like a sweet pasta with like sweet tomato sauce, which, you know, you wouldn't even think of. But, you know, Mm -hmm. they... Definitely not at McDonald's. Right. Well, it's interesting. And... um, And actually in the Philippines, what they want – essentially what they've got is everyone wants to be an American. Um, A lot of Filipinos, the way that they support their families is by going and working in other countries because they can't earn a living wage to support their families. And so they go to America and all these different other first world countries and you know, they end up living there for years and years and years and just sending money back for their families. And the thing is that everyone in the Philippines wants to be white. Um, they, they, all these companies like Dove and, you know, these other companies, they sell, um, uh, like shampoo and all these different products with, with skin bleaching or skin whitening in it. So, because people want to be whiter because they, that's how much they have lost their whole culture. And, um, like I said, Manila is, uh, one of the most populated cities in the world. And part of the reason for that is the dominance of the Catholic church. And when I was there, um, they were trying to pass a bill called the RH bill, which was um, essentially you know going to allow for abortion in the Philippines, which is currently illegal. And um, the thing is that the Catholic Church uh, it's so sad, man, because literally people believe that it's evil to have an abortion or to use even birth control or or you know condoms or any kind of uh, anything. And and people have um, you know they'll have eight different kids or or whatever, and they literally you know are forced to eat garbage or 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 become uh, beggars on the streets. And there are uh, all kinds of uh, syndicates where they have three, four, five, six year olds. Literally, you know, when you're in when you're taking taxis, you'll have um, these little girls come up to you and they're trying to sell you know flowers and tapping on the window of your of your taxi. It's 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 very sad, you know. And, um, what is it that you did while you were there? Well, I was just playing poker and, and ultimately I, I wanted to uh, start a farm and get away from everything. But the thing is there is no way anymore because what you realize is you can go all the way across the world and everything is Americanized now because that's what the New World Order is all about. It's all about these major corporations um, taking, taking over, over everything. Taking over every- Every country, and what we do is we we will have a war, and then ultimately establish our military bases, and then we bring in our culture, and we and we subvert the local culture, and you know force them to industrialize, and that is what's happening all over the world. Um, and ultimately, uh, when I was there, it was after Fukushima, and. Just from the pollution in Manila and from, you know, what I'm sure must have been the radiation, I got really sick. And I also got really sick of playing poker. You know, I'd been doing it for 10 years and I just got really tired of it. And now, um, alternately, you know, I had gone further and further into my research and – one of the things I wanted to mention is that while I was living in Boulder, Colorado, I saw my first uh, what you know what most people call UFOs, and it was funny. I actually uh, I had gone and seen uh, Bob Saget, <laughs> and then that night I, I went and saw, I saw my first UFO, and um, and then after that it kind of it kind of never stopped in a way, and I had an experience in the Philippines where basically. Um, You know, ultimately, during my time in the Philippines, I went on a a horrible run in poker. I had gone on basically a $250,000 downswing, and um, I had lost a lot of money in the financial markets as well. And I basically – I had gotten very sick, and I was running out of uh, options. And um, basically, I had an experience one night where I saw literally uh, about 100 ships, and one ship – came flying over, you know, the, uh, the condo building where I lived and, it, it, you know, it started flashing all these multicolored lights. And literally, um, from this point on, I started having telepathic uh, communication with these entities uh, who are Pleiadians. And basically, um, one night I, uh, I took acid and I was listening to uh, the audio version of Barbara Marciniak's book, uh, Bringers of the Dawn, and then, you know, I turned it I, – I paused it because I was just tripping so hard. And, and then literally, um, you know, these beings started communicating with me telepathically. And one of the most important things that they said to me is that you are what you create and what, and you create what you are. And that really has, uh, has stuck with me because I think it's very powerful.
0: That really just sounds like the power of intention.
1: It is. It is, man. And the thing is that ultimately um, – you know, I really love uh, Aaron Russo's quote where he talks about – in his last interview with Alex Jones, it's called Reflections and Warnings. Yes. Where Alex Alex asked him what his philosophy on life is or what he thinks the importance of life is. and And he basically said, I think that the importance of life is to like yourself. And in order to like yourself, you have to respect yourself. And in order to respect yourself, you have to take actions that others would respect or that you would respect if others were to take them because <laughs> – you know, at the end of the day, you can have all the money in the world, but if you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see, then what's what's the point of living? Exactly. And he basically said, you know, unless you stand up for what's right in life, then you're, you're nothing. And to me, that was very powerful. And, um, you know, he lived that because ultimately, uh, uh, Nicholas Rockefeller befriended him and tried to bring him into the Council on Foreign Relations. And, you know, he told him that the ultimate game plan of the, uh, the elite and the, the – uh, banking industry was to basically get everyone implanted with a an RFID chip mm-hmm. and you know where if they don't like what you're doing they'll just turn off your chip and all the money will be in those chips and everything will be tracked that way and everything is moving in that direction anyway and now um, something my my girlfriend told me is that literally um, they did an independent study of 3,000 different people and literally, a thousand of those people already have RFID chips in them, and the way that they're able to do this is through the vaccines and also through dental fillings. It's 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 really unbelievable. So people talk about this being a conspiracy, but this is a this is a reality. Now I've you know, seen
0: articles popping up quite a bit about that, but I haven't seen anything documented yet. Documented evidence?
1: It, mm-hmm. Are there people who have actually literally found the chips in them? Oh yes, you know I have a I have a friend who well we're not really friends anymore. Um, and he he pretty much uh, ultimately is is has gone really psychotic, and he is uh, on a total path of self destruction. But um, you know he he has this story that he he had told everybody, and no one really believed him except me because well, first of all, you know I had no reason not to believe him, and second of all, um, well, basically what he said is that you know he 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 was at a p- party at uh, the university of Vermont. And these kids um, basically drugged him out on acid. Like he drank a cup of water and it had all this acid in it. And he doesn't really, you know, he's not, he's hazy on exactly what happened, but he said, you know, he was brought to this house and it seemed like there were all these like mafia people there. And then somehow he ended up in a, in a hospital. Cause he, maybe because he brought him there or whatever. But Basically as a result of this, he ended up with two RFID chips in either shoulder and literally, you could you could actually squeeze his shoulders, and you could literally feel and see the chips, and you could see where um, they had made the incisions in either arm. So you know, I know for a fact that they're doing this to people because I've seen it firsthand. Now what, that may what, be. Um, what size were the chips? Um, these were quite large, actually. They were about maybe the size of um, a penny, you know. But they were in. Uh, they they were kind of like maybe like the size of maybe most pills that people would take in, you know, not, not round pills, but those, um, like a multivitamin size. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. I was having trouble <laughs> describing <laughs> it, but anyway, um, so, so yeah. And, and the, and the fact of the matter is that, um, you know, we are being mass medicated whether you like it or not. Uh, f- uh, fluoride is a perfect example of that. Um, you know, most people think, well, fluoride is good for your teeth, and no, 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 no. The thing is that fluoride uh, first came out of Nazi Germany. It was produced by a chemical company named IG Farben, mm-hmm. um, you know, which was also producing uh, Zyklon B and all this other stuff. You know, the yes, gas they were the gas they were spraying in the uh, you know in the shower rooms, you know, to to uh, kill Jews and many other people. And um, basically, uh, they started putting fluoride in the water in the concentration camps under. the the guys that it was good for the children's teeth, like, like anything they did in the concentration camps was good for any of the people, right? <laughs> uh, for their own good, of course. Uh, um, and uh, basically the reason that they did it was to dumb people down, make them sick, and make them less able to resist domination. And of course it's used for the same reasons today. It's in uh, a huge amount of the water supply all over the world and virtually almost everyone you know uh, brushes with the fluoridated toothpaste and has had fluoride treatments on their teeth from dentists. And everyone you know has received uh, vaccinations, which not only are full of different pathogens and viruses, but are, are loaded with uh, thimerosal, which is basically just mercury. And um, in the last couple of years, I mean, maybe this has been going on for a long time, but really the intensity of it has been stepped up. Uh, they've been spraying uh, chemtrails, which are basically just full of different heavy metals, aluminum, barium, strontium, all kinds of different stuff. And actually... Uh, nanotechnology and what nanotechnology is for anyone who doesn't know is basically uh, mini computers which are basically uh, infinitesly small. They're they're like dust particles, and it's, a lot of it's referred to as smart dust. And basically, um, people have uh, experienced something which which has been dubbed as Morgellons disease and the way that the government has classified it is basically that it's a psychosomatic disease. But what actually has happened is that people develop these huge rashes and sores. And actually, they find that there are these thread like fibers, literally, which are metallic, that are actually coming out of people's bodies. I've seen the and pictures that, of that. It's scary. It is scary. And the fact of the matter is that if you look up and you see, uh, you know, people say, oh, well, that jets have always done that, or oh, certain kind of jets do that. No, no, no. The thing is that if most normal planes, they have contrails, which you know they only go about twenty-five to fifty feet out from behind the plane, and and that's it. But the government has uh, invested over a billion dollars a year, you know, in something called Project uh, Cloverleaf, which is basically um, the spraying of chemtrails over the over the mass populace. And now this is um, this is happening in countries all over the world. And I would say that primarily Monsanto is behind this because ultimately you have to always ask who benefits uh, and essentially what you know, the government and the corporations – because we, we are living in a fascist system where the government and the corporations are. It's, I, I like what John Perkins, uh, you know, this man who wrote uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, he calls it the corporatocracy and I think that's a very, that's a very good way to put it. Yes. Um, you know, ultimately, uh, they are the ones who have uh, genetically modified aluminum-resistant seeds. Because what they're trying to do is not only uh, make us sick and kill us, but they're making it so literally the soil becomes infertile, so that you you can't grow organic food anymore. You know, and you need to buy Monsanto seeds. And literally, Monsanto now controls around fifty percent of the world's food supply. And I, I also was uh, mentioning a a, a statistic. Statistic earlier that in Jim Mars' book, uh, the trillion-dollar conspiracy, where literally the American uh, population represents five percent of the world's population, and they consume over eighty percent of the world's pharmaceutical drugs. Hmm. So this country really is that's a staggering number. It is
0: staggering, number, when you it think is about staggering
1: it. and people don't want to look at it. And people could say, "Oh, well, it's just because America has more money." And it's like, "Well, no. A lot of it has to do with the advertising and television, and literally the direct uh, pharmaceutical involvement in our government." government and um, and this kind of ties into all of what I was saying and so basically you know in the last several years I've basically uh, you know ultimately gone broke and um, you know I I my mother has been to institutionalize me for the last uh, three years you know on the basis that I'm crazy because I believe in this stuff and because of my lifestyle and smoking pot and um, so to to fast forward to to uh, you know what part of the reason you wanted to interview me was basically, um, well, in the last six weeks, I've undergone some really crazy stuff. Now I was dating this girl who actually was my brother's ex-girlfriend and that caused a lot of uh, family drama and she had her own fair share of issues. Um, and you know, basically she was DID and she'd been traumatized and, um, you know, but I, I, Stuck with her, which, you know, for better or for worse, right? Um, she's a sweet person, but she had a lot of issues. And ultimately, it turned out to be very bad for me. And um, the thing is that I uh, I wanted to move to Uruguay. Um, and we, we did go down there and ultimately had to come back. And um, I basically, I inherited some money. And, you know, I was able to – I basically told my family that I didn't want to be part of the family anymore because uh, I really um, – you know, resent them for, for who they are and what they're doing. And basically, you know, my family donates huge amounts of money to, uh, Obama and, you know, any democratic, uh, people that they support. And they also donate money to Zionist charities like the Anti-Defamation League and, and the state of Israel. And, um, they're just, uh, you know, they're Zionists, which basically makes them Nazis. You know, Hitler was a, uh, was a Rothschild and ultimately, uh, World War II and Nazi Germany And the Holocaust really was there to ultimately create the state of Israel for the Rothschilds to ultimately foster World War III. Uh, And this goes back to Albert Pike. Are you familiar with Albert Pike? Yes,
0: 33rd degree Freemason.
1: Yep, and he he was a Confederate Army general, and he was a a grand wizard or grand dragon of the uh, Ku Klux Klan. And um, according to... (laughs) Lord, he had uh, some kind of a pendant which he could use to summon Lucifer, you know, take that for what it's worth. Maybe he <laughs> was just interacting with reptilians or, or higher dimensional, uh, you know, negative uh, beings. But basically, um, he essentially channeled uh, a plan for three world wars where ultimately the, the Illuminati would um, create these various groups and 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 next against each other to ultimately dominate the world. Then he wrote a letter to Giuseppe Mazzini, where he finds this. And I recommend that everybody listening to this go and look it up and read it because um, we are in the final stages of this plan. This is the end game, and we are uh, we're very close to the end. And if, if this is uh, successful, um, you know that's pretty much it for humanity. Uh, but anyway, I um, ultimately I I hooked Up with Jordan, Axl said. That's how you know we ended up talking, and so this kind of gets us up to um, where we really want to be going with all this. And um, I had met him in uh, 2013 when I was living. I was living in Colorado again. This is after I lived in the Philippines. Um, and basically I, I listened to a radio show he did with uh, Dolores Cannon, where at the end of it he gave out his phone number, and I, I tried giving him a call a couple times. And now, um, uh,
0: before we go any further, why don't we, um, in case anyone's not familiar, say who Jordan Maxwell is.
1: Oh, of course. Jordan is literally the world's foremost authority on uh, religions and astro astrotheology, and he he really is the man who in a lot of ways got this whole – things started he he was mentored by manly palmer hall who is one of the highest ranking freemasons in the world um and he ultimately uh left jordan with all of his um works and all of his documenting and, and so jordan um really got a first-hand look into the darkness in the world and he he started uh he had done a tremendous amount of research and he he came out and uh you know if you don't know who jordan is just uh, look him up on youtube um, or you can go to his website jordanmaxwellshow.com and one thing that's important for people to understand if you if you want to support jordan uh, his website jordanmaxwell.com was was stolen from him yes. which i believe um, you know it, it's it's funny actually because um, you know jordan doesn't see or maybe you know maybe he does but um, how i i believe that the people who uh, uh, manage of jordan were we're really just uh employed by the cia because too much has been done to discredit jordan and to steal his work and defame his name and it's so organized that you you can tell that there is someone higher behind these these people which you know they're called the Dolazols. it's this family um and they are idiots but at the same time someone is uh giving them information and directing them and and you know giving them some power behind the scenes because it's it, the whole thing has just gone too far, in my opinion. I could be wrong about that.
0: I suspected something, but um, there's really, unfortunately, no evidence. But it just seems like, circumstantial, like, hmm, what's going on here?
1: Right, right, right. right. You know, and I've been, uh, as I've worked with Jordan, I've seen how much has done to uh, really destroy him. And, you know, it, it just makes me see, because of who he is and how important his work is, Um, that, you know, I mean, there's a reason that, uh, people who are running the world, uh, they know who Jordan is. And, um, Jordan got, uh, he brought David to America, which is something that a lot of people don't know. He, you know, ultimately, uh, through his company, truth seeker, he financed him for about $300,000. And so if you know who David Ike is, you can give Jordan some credit for that and for, for helping a lot of world renowned individual speaker lecturer, author absolutely and you know i I have a lot of respect for david but i think it's unfortunate that he hasn't really given jordan the help and the credit that i believe that jordan deserves and um so ultimately uh i i decided that i would i would help jordan out if it was very if it was literally the last thing that i did and if it killed me because it, it you know the way that I saw it is that Jordan is like a Tesla level genius who has gone totally unappreciated and as you know um, Nikola Tesla in his in his last days you know after after JP Morgan destroyed him and Edison destroyed him because of course he came out with a free energy device which ultimately uh, has been turned into has been weaponized as the harp technology. Um, you know, which is essentially a weather modification machine, you know, and that and ties in directly with the chemtrails, with the ion, I, the ionization of the atmosphere. Um, and, and basically uh, Tesla um, was was literally uh, broke and homeless and he couldn't even pay his hotel bills and ultimately they stole his uh, laboratory, Wardenclyffe, from him and, and he, he died uh, totally destitute. And Jordan's life seems sad.
0: to parallel that, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely, it does. You know, when you um, Jordan likes to say that uh, you know you try to help anybody in this world and they'll throw you in prison, and uh, you know a lot of. <laughs> I mean, I know that's funny, and to a lot of people that may sound ridiculous. Well, not
0: funny, but.
1: Well, it's funny because it's true, but it's very it's very sad. Yes, because it's, the reality of the situation is that it, that is the case, and um, you know I can say firsthand that uh, that it is true because you know the last couple of years, as I have woken up more and more and more, I have literally. Uh, committed and dedicated my life to um, not only helping people but, 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 but broadcasting and posting the truth as, as I've seen it to the best of my ability as widely and as farly as I could and I have, I have paid the price for it and so has Jordan, you know, and that's why I empathized with him and I wanted to help him and I basically, um, you know I gave him uh, as much money as I could to help him with his legal defense and ultimately, uh, you know he helped him uh, get out of the situation that he's been in And, um, you know, Jordan is not in an ideal situation now by any means, but let's just say that Jordan is, is safe now or as safe as he can be being who he is. Um, but anyway, but that's not really necessarily uh, where we need to go with this. Although I did, um, one of the things that happened was was that uh, the way that I was able to get in touch with Jordan, because as, as people probably know, he's not an easy man to get in touch with. Now, if you want to support Jordan, you can. support him through his website jordanmaxwellshow.com and you can donate directly via paypal now if you want to speak with jordan directly what i recommend is that you email him his email is jordanmaxwellfiles at gmail.com he's pretty good i mean you got to remember this guy is almost 75 and you know he's not um the best with technology and he he admits this but if you you email him and you are respectful and you want to help him and especially if you want to give the guy some money i'm sure he'll He'll probably respond to you
0: and let's make it uh, clear that his um his quote-unquote website um jordan com is under control of that family you mentioned
1: the dolezals yes and is
0: not uh anything that goes that you may try to use that website for is not going to get to him especially especially money
1: right 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 it's very it's very sad and you know that's they cut off jordan's income stream and people who have tried to support jordan you know are are just giving money to these these criminals and it's it's very sad. I just want to make um, sure
0: that gets out there if no, you No, no, you're looking you're, ab- to you're get...
1: absolutely right to reiterate that.
0: Right. It's if you're point. looking to get in touch with Jordan, jordanmaxwell.com is not the way to do it. His only outreach into the world right now is
1: jordanmaxwellshow.com. Right. And um so basically, and the other thing, the other thing was like I said, the way that I was able to get in touch with him again because we had we had uh, been in touch in 2013, and then we kind of were out of touch as I was doing some other stuff. Um, was that he had a, a Facebook page that some of his friends had helped create on his behalf, and ultimately the Dolazals. Basically, every time Jordan does just about anything, they threaten to sue whoever is doing anything. They threaten to sue Facebook, and they ultimately got his his last facebook page taken down which i mean how do you do something like that i mean facebook had to be complicit in this and we know we know who's behind facebook as well so i mean that's not really that surprising so i created a uh, a facebook page in honor of jordan um uh, it's called you know if you search jordan maxwell on facebook it comes up and there is um another facebook page which is run by close friends of jordan which maybe you know he considers to be his official page which is uh Jordan Maxwell's show, but either way, um, so those are, uh, our pages and you can, uh, check those out if you're interested. Um, but basically, uh, I, I helped Jordan and ultimately, um, the person who was putting him up, uh, was one of the biggest, uh, medical marijuana growers in California and he had offered me, uh, employment and, um, I, you know, I, I like I said, I'm a huge supporter of cannabis, uh, and I just want to give, um, Credit to somebody who gets a lot of flack and who has had a lot of problems himself, a man named Rick Simpson. Now, Rick Simpson is a Canadian man who essentially rediscovered the cure for cancer and virtually all other diseases in the form of cannabis oil, the essential oil uh, which you can extract with an alcohol-based Extract from uh, from the cannabis plant. It's it's very easy to do. His documentary is called "Run from the Cure." That's not "Run for the Cure," but "Run from the Cure." <laughs> and his website is phoenixtears.ca. And I recommend highly that everyone do some research into Rick Simpson. Um, and you know, and if you're not familiar with cannabis and hemp, um, another person is uh, Jack Herrera, who is now who is now dead, and he wrote a book called "The Emperor Wears No Clothes." And so, I am a huge advocate for cannabis and hemp uh and they these these plants um do not get the credit they deserve on this planet and and yeah at the end of the day people are fundamentally afraid of plants but you know the government
0: we know there's reasons why behind all this though
1: right well the government basically wants to steer you away from anything which is going to heal you and impart knowledge upon you and and uh bring you into higher consciousness and they you know the only like like terence mckenna said we live in a uh A sugar, alcohol, tobacco, and red meat culture. I mean, these are the preferred uh, government sponsored drugs. And of course, um, the pharmaceutical industry. You know, you have kids these days uh, snorting Adderall and popping Vicodins and um, Oxycontin, which is basically synthetic heroin. And, you know, we know that the CIA is uh, the biggest drug runner in the world you know if you look at um the war in afghanistan and you know it's all about this war on terrorism it's not the war on terrorism it's the war of terrorism i mean that's what it is and i like what um what michael Syrian said you know how uh terrorism it's not terror terrorism but it's terrorism because we're destroying the planet and um you know, if you look at uh, the Iran Contra scandal, that's a perfect example of, um, or, or Vietnam, and and you know, I'm now I realize I'm kind of jumping back and forth here, but basically, uh, in Vietnam, Monsanto produced uh, Agent Orange, and these are the people now growing uh, the bulk of the world's food supply. But anyway, um, <laughs> in F- yeah, you know, fun facts, right? You know, real nice uh, history. People don't like to talk about this stuff, but it's all true. Um, And so in Afghanistan right now, the thing is that the Taliban actually had shut down the bulk of the poppy production there. And when um, the U.S. government basically took over with the the military, um, we now have uh, American troops are guarding the poppy fields and have basically revved up the heroin production there by like 800 percent. And the thing is that just like in Vietnam – Heroin is shipped back in the dead soldiers' bodies and is basically uh, sold by the CIA. Now, I wanted to bring up the Iran-Contra scandal, if, if people are not familiar with this, because this is very well documented. Now, Gary Webb was a journalist who was ultimately killed for writing the book Dark Alliance. And then Michael Rupert, uh, who was, a, was an LAPD uh, narcotics officer, um, ultimately followed up kind of where he left off and, and – uh, Michael committed suicide recently because he was so he'd been harassed so much and he was so depressed about the state of the world from things with uh, Fukushima and just you know all of it. It's it's very it's very sad. But but this is all it's all true and this all needs to come out. And um, basically, uh, George Bush, you know, he went from being uh, uh, vice president and to being or he was vice president, right? At one point, or maybe not. Yes. Okay. (laughs) George H.
0: W. Bush was vice president for uh, Ronald Reagan.
1: Right. That's, that's what I thought. And, um, and just to, uh, again, you know, I realize I'm jumping around, but one thing that a lot of people don't know is that, um, uh, George Prescott Bush, uh, George HW Bush's father, Mm -hmm. um, ultimately, uh, bankrolled Hitler via union bank and he was indicted under, uh, trading with the enemies act, but, um, but no one cares about that. And, um, You know, some things just aren't important, Russ. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right. Yeah, like maybe how Aleister Crowley was uh, the uh, original lineage for the Bush family. But anyway, who who cares (laughs) about that, right? Um, But so basically, uh, during the Iran-Contra scandal, what this was all about was basically George H.W. Bush, you know, he went from being uh, vice president and then he was head of the CIA and ultimately he became president. And um, basically what happened was the CIA – was sponsoring um, drug running from the cartels in Colombia, bringing cocaine into America, turning it into crack, and then uh, distributing it via a man named uh, Freeway Rick Ross, who Mm -hmm. was basically um, set up by the CIA to uh, basically distribute um, crack cocaine to the – You know, in the ghetto and basically get the whole black and um, minority community and, you know, whoever hooked on uh, crack. And then they ultimately use this to um, uh, sell guns in in Iran and fund wars in uh, Panama and Nicaragua. And, you know, this is all documented and no one cares. No one cares. You know, you tell people about this and, um, you know, people say, oh, well, it depends what journalist you read. It's a no, it doesn't depend what journalist. This is what happened but no one no one seems to care you know uh, like Free Ray Ricky
0: Ross has told his story uh, quite a few places
1: oh absolutely and I've listened to
0: quite a few of his interviews
1: it's he's, he's uh, interesting. Out now. he yeah he's a very uh, very interesting man um you know and he he realizes uh, what he's done and how he was used just so so used um, but um anyway kind of brings us up to where we are today in that basically um in the last six weeks, so I was, uh, I was going to help Jordan out and, um, you know, I, I did. And I was basically, I was being on job, uh, uh, one of his friends and, you know, I don't necessarily want to go into all the details because it's kind of sensitive, but let's just say, um, this friend, uh, really, you know, even though he did help Jordan, you know, he has his own issues and ultimately, um, The whole thing just didn't work out and he he did some pretty unethical stuff, uh, not involving me. I don't want to get into the details. It's not important. Um, But basically, I was put in a very bad situation as a result and – well, the thing is that I had broken up with my girlfriend and she knew my family history and she basically uh, called my mom and told her that I was going to commit suicide. And of course, she knew what kind of a reaction this would get from my mom. So basically, uh, you know, I was just on Facebook hanging out or whatever. And then the cops uh, showed up at the house and they basically ultimately arrested me uh, and took me in on a 5150, which is basically, um, you know, if you're suicidal, they can literally um, put you in an institution.
0: Danger to yourself or to others, potentially.
1: Right. And so I was taken on a, on a 72 hour hold. After I got out, um, my mom called the cops on me again and said I was going to kill myself again. And she was just keep in mind, she was calling the cops from Massachusetts. So people from anywhere in the world can just call the cops on you and they'll show up at your house and you're, you're basically guilty until proven innocent. <laughs> and unless you have money to defend yourself or whatever, you're screwed, man. Uh, or, or especially if you, know, if you have a gun or, or any illegal drugs, you know, and they don't even need a warrant to come into your house because they have, uh, in their eyes, they have probable cause. And, um, so, so anyway, uh, fortunately that time I, uh, wasn't arrested. Um, but the problem was that I was in a very uh, bad situation. I had pretty much, uh, was running out of money. And ultimately this, uh, this man who was letting me stay at his place, um, he, he kicked me out and, you know, after promising me work for months, he just, uh, really screwed me over. And, um, you know, basically, sort of. It's funny how things work out. You know, it just is. Um, I really wasn't talking to any of my family because, like I said, when I inherited money, I, I told my mom uh, that I didn't want to be part of the family anymore. And and literally, just you know, as an, a side note, when I went to give um, my stepfather a hug goodbye, and you know, after I told my mom that he was cheating on her and using her for her uh, money, he he literally uh, he shoved me. <laughs> you know, which just validated everything. But anyway, this is this is not really the point. Um, so anyway, um, I, I like I said, I wasn't talking to any members of my family, but actually um, I don't even know how it, it worked out this way because I wasn't friends with any of these people on Facebook. But it's weird because they kind of follow my – they kind of stalk me through my Facebook and it's created a lot of issues for me. Um, but uh, basically my aunt had um, – she had liked the Jordan Maxwell page and she commented on one of the posts and I was like, wow, are you waking up? And <laughs> it kind of surprised me, you know? And, um, I started talk- talking with her and I heard her about what had happened. And she said that she had no idea about any of this, that, you know, nobody in my family had, um, had, had talked about this. They kept it very, uh, on the hush hush. And so ultimately what she recommended was that I try to kind of, um, you know, basically manipulate my mother back or try to just come to some kind of an agreement or compromise because like I said, my mother is a multimillionaire and well, frankly, I'm not. And, um, So, you know, her suggestion was, well, what if you went into, like uh – you know, ninety days of rehab for a quarter of a million dollars, and I kind of laughed because my mom had been trying to institutionalize me for the last three years. And I said, "Well, that actually might work." And this kind of this—I <laughs> know it sounds ridiculous, but you know, I'm just telling you what's happened. And so this kicked off a series of negotiations where you know my mother wanted me to fly into Boston, and she was going to hire a professional mediator. But ultimately, what happened was that my uncle took over the role as mediator for us, and he he married into the family, so he was a little bit more. uh objective. And, you know, he's a nice guy, but, um, you know, people are a bit naive, right? You know, even if they're well-intentioned. And um, so the thing is that ultimately um, I wanted to do my my rehab in California and my mother was kind of against that. I wanted to do the rehab at a holistic center. And she really, you know, she added later as a caveat, you know, after we had kind of worked something out that, and by the way, you're going to have to take drugs. And I said, whoa, 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 Wait, wait, wait off drugs this is not, this is not gonna take any drugs you know because she basically has been saying i'm i've been bipolar and um you know she basically my she believed that my father was bipolar which you know maybe he was and that if he these mood stabilizing drugs like lithium or something else that it would have saved his life although you know i think that's probably not the case because he was horribly addicted to drugs and he was abusing them and he ultimately used them to kill himself but anyway that's a that's another point um and So basically um, she gave me the option of only four, four different facilities. One of them was in California and I said, okay, I'll do that one and then it turned out that that one had uh, full occupancy and they weren't going to have any, any, anything available for over a month and so basically that left me with the option that she gave me um, really only two options. There was a facility in Massachusetts and then there was a facility in New Hampshire and another one in Florida but the one in New Hampshire and Florida, it was the same company anyway. But I basically um, started talking with these people at this facility, and they assured me that they were—they I wasn't going to be forced to take any drugs against my will. And you know, I started to develop a rapport with them, and it seemed like um, that this could work out. And ultimately, the deal that was uh, was brokered was that my mother would pay me twenty thousand dollars to go through this treatment, and then she would essentially give me twenty five hundred dollars a month for the next ten years, or, or even longer if I needed it. Um, and well, I mean, that seemed like a pretty good deal to me. And I just said, Hmm. okay, well we need to get this in writing just so, you know, it's clear and it's enforceable. And, um, basically, uh, she was insisting that this um this facility kind of be put in the middle of the contract and they they sort of said look you know if you guys want to have this kind of a deal that's that's sort of between you don't don't put us in the middle of this contract you know well, there has to be trust and and we're not going to be involved in in a contract you know and that's not to say that there couldn't have been one they just didn't want to be in the middle of it and so my mother kind of used this as a justification because she realized that they weren't going to force me to take drugs and that ultimately that they kind of were turning things around on her, that in that she was being unreasonable, and and ultimately, like I said, I got kicked out of where I was living, and the person that I that I was staying with, um, who you know, again, I don't want to name names or anything; it's not really important. But um, let's just say that uh, she is somebody within the the, the truth movement, and um, she basically uh, pretty much had a nervous breakdown herself. And she started freaking out at me and she was all jealous and, you know, she was screaming at my, my new, you know, I had a new girlfriend and she was screaming at her and all this different stuff. And so I was in a really bad spot and I was left without internet, you know, and I, and basically, so I was in a really desperate situation and my uncle kind of was like, I, you know, I called him and I explained the situation, he, you know, explained it to my mom and she, she took advantage of my desperation and she basically turned everything around at the last minute and found a different clinic called the Menninger Clinic. facility but that it was a psychiatric uh,
0: russ back up a minute there you uh you broke up for a moment there
1: okay well i was just saying that my mother took advantage of my, of my desperation and turned everything around at the last minute and she ultimately found a, a different
0: oh we just lost you russ i'm basically
1: gonna... russie there yes can you hear me
0: okay yeah you cut out for a moment there um you said she took advantage of your desperation, and she found a different location
1: yes she found she found a a clinic called the Manager Clinic in Houston, Texas. Uh, which it turns out was not a rehab facility, but a psychiatric facility. But unfortunately, I was without internet, and I pretty much was running out of phone minutes and running out of money, and I didn't have a car, and, you know, I don't even have a... My driver's license was ultimately suspended because I didn't pay a speeding ticket, or or maybe it could have been from the stuff in Colorado that I didn't take care of, you know, and caught up with me. I'm not really entirely 100% sure. And she basically gave me this ultimatum where either you take this deal or there's no deal and there's no help and so i kind of got um pushed into it and my uncle basically asked me to trust him and uh to to do it without the contract because my mom didn't want to do it and he's like well your mom is gonna pay you and like blah 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 all this stuff right Hmm. and um and so basically uh you know, I called. I called this clinic, and they said, "Well, we don't admit people over the weekends." So, you know, I basically told my mom to book me a hotel for the next day, and I was going to have my my girlfriend. Uh, you know, again, not the ex girlfriend, but a new girlfriend, uh, pick me up, and I would have some chance a, a chance to uh, spend some time with her before I went in, and you know, it would give me a couple days to look into the facility. And but basically, uh, my uncle called me back, and he was like, "Hey, man, are you at the hotel?" And I'm like, "What do you mean?" I, I said I was going to go tomorrow, and he's like, "No, no, 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 no." your mom, your mom like booked the hotel already. You need to get over there. And like your flight is leaving at 7am in the morning. And so basically I just got like really like rushed into the whole thing. And be- but because I was desperate, I kind of didn't really have another choice. And, um, so ultimately I, I flew into uh, Houston, Texas where I was picked up by a driver and they took me to this clinic where I, you know, I voluntarily checked myself in and then it was kind of like the door slammed shut behind me. <laughs> and, um, when I was there immediately the first thing they did is they started diagnosing me with all this crazy stuff. You know, they said I was uh delusional, that I was psychotic, that I was bipolar, and I, I basically was I was concerned that I had um uh stomach cancer or I I'd been having uh stomach problems for a very long time and you know, I think it maybe at one point I did have cancer, but I had taken enough cannabis oil that potentially maybe I I had healed it or whatever. It's not really important. Um, but they were basically saying that I I had all these psychosomatic complaints when it actually it turned out that later they found out that I had an ulcer, um, probably from all the stress of all the stuff that had been happening in my life. But but anyway, and and dealing with all the uh, the toxins in the world, and um, basically, um, uh, I had a doctor there. His name was Doctor Heron, and like I said, he was. Um, not only did he diagnose me with all this stuff, but he he continually was pushing uh, lithium on me and all these other mood stabilization drugs. And when I didn't want to take the drugs, um, you know, I, I basically I told my mom like, look, this wasn't what I signed up for. I was going to a rehab facility, and you said I wasn't going to have to take any medication. I wouldn't be forced to take any medication. This wasn't the deal. And she basically responded, and she pretty much told me, well. We never finished the negotiations. We never had a deal, and you know they would no place would accept a contract. And and basically, this is the help I'm giving you. And I said that's fucking bullshit, mom. Like, all right. And so then, at, basically, at that point, I decided that I wanted to leave. You know, it didn't matter whether I was going to get twenty thousand dollars because apparently I wasn't going to get that anyway. Hmm. You know, I didn't want to be forced into treatment that I didn't want, and being forced to take drugs that I you know could potentially really hurt me. I mean, these drugs have horrible side effects. Yes, it I is. like what. I like what uh, David Ike says. You know, he says those aren't those aren't the side effects; those are the effects, mate. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, um, the thing is that what I was told is that basically the doctor there said, "Well, I'm I'm really sorry, but um, we're not gonna we're not gonna let you leave." And I said, "Well, what do you mean? You said it's voluntary to leave at any time." He said, well, "Yeah, that's true, but you know, if you if you leave, like we basically, you know, he, they didn't they didn't think." societal and they didn't think that I was a danger to others but basically what they were saying was that because I didn't want to eat genetically modified food and because I believed that these drugs do more harm than good that I was basically a vegetable and a retard and incapable of of nourishing and taking care of myself and so you know for my own good that I had to basically be under lock and key and I said that's fucking bullshit I walked in here voluntarily and this was never the deal but they said well just go through this like three week process and we're going to like run all these, you know, these tests on you and, you know, you got this ulcer and you, you you're going to work, we're going to work it out, you know? And, but I didn't really have a choice. I was under duress. And so I, I, you know, reluctantly agreed to, um, stay because I didn't have a choice, you know, cause I thought that basically they were going to take me in on another 51, another fifty one fifty at a much, um, worse facility. And, you know, this was a, a $30,000 a month, uh, facility you know it was very nice on paper you know it had a nice uh, but it ultimately the uh, the biggest donators to this um this company like i mentioned it's a german name and <laughs> probably a nazi family that uh ran this place um but uh the biggest donators there were, were goldman sachs and bbva which is another bank and that that tells you a lot about um who's really running the show i definitely and, uh, find that
0: very interesting to say the least
1: I think it is interesting. I think a lot of people wouldn't really draw those parallels, and you know, like I mentioned to you earlier when we were talking, um, that you know, you you said, well, what are they? What could they possibly get out of it? And it's like, well, you know, they get people locked up, and they're forced to consume, uh, you know, tap water and fluoride products, and aspartame, and GMO food and snacks, and um, and ultimately, uh, you know, uh, Coke Coke products and um, and ultimately, uh, oh, and and Nestle, and um, before take a whole a whole regiment of drugs, and you know, being diagnosed with all these uh, diseases, they're they're in the pocket of um, the banks and the pharmaceutical companies. So basically, get you back into the program. Absolutely right. And the thing is that basically, um, a big part of why I think you wanted to have me on this show is that basically because what they were saying of my quote paranoid and delusional viewpoints about you know, conspiracies and, and, you know, government involvement in the pharmaceutical industry and, and, you know, in pharmaceutical industry and the government and all this stuff that I'm, you know, crazy and paranoid, schizophrenic, and, and they're going to just drug you out and that basically I'm incapable of living my own life. And so ultimately uh, what happened was after a week and a half where, you know, I, I refused to take any medication and I wasn't actively participating in their bullshit uh, therapy groups And um, I was resistant towards their psychological testing, which they were just going to use as a justification to, um, you know, say I was bipolar and just jam drugs down my throat. They said, well, fine, if you aren't going to uh, voluntarily be here, we're going to have you committed to a place where you can be involuntarily committed. And so ultimately what they did is they had uh, two uh, police officers come and pick me up and and, uh, basically take me over. To uh, Methodist and uh, Methodist Hospital, where basically the first thing they told me is, uh, yeah, you're bipolar. You know, without even talking to me, they're just, yeah, you're bipolar. And basically, if you don't get on mood stabilizing drugs, um, we can pretty much keep you here indefinitely. And ultimately, um, you know, the court, if they if they so rule, can can force you to take medication against your will. Where if you won't take it uh, voluntarily, they can inject it into you and they can keep you up to 90 days at a time in one of these institutions and literally every 90 days there there would be another hearing and they can petition to have you in for another 90 days
0: now now let's and, stop there for a moment just okay, think Latin. about what you just said and what the implications are not just to you but to anyone i mean literally just oh we suspect something's wrong you're gone you're in a facility And you're going to do what we say.
1: Yeah, and if you don't, it's going to be ten times worse. And so ultimately, I mean, you know, talk about a good business model. You know, take the drugs or take the drugs. I mean, you don't have a choice.
0: Well, if if you you don't don't want to take the drugs, obviously there's something wrong with you.
1: Right, and that just proves, oh, you're getting agitated because, you know, we're trying to force you to take drugs and so therefore you're you're crazy and you have to take the drugs. And um, you can't leave. And so ultimately... um, I I involved an organization called the Citizens Commission on Human Rights. Now, if anyone wants to um, check these people out, uh, their, their website is cchr.org. And God bless these people because they are fighting for our freedom. And at the end of the day, if you don't have the freedom to decide what you do with your own body, how you take care of yourself, and how you're going to live your life, then you don't have any freedom. And what we're talking about are fundamental human rights. And I like... I like what George Carlin said. You know, he talks about um, how we don't, we don't have we don't have any rights. All we have are is a set of temporary privileges because rights aren't rights if you can just take them away oh, right. just like that. And um, you know, he basically cited how in uh, 1942 we we stuck literally um, what was it like a, a huge
0: fifty thousand mean, I think Japanese Americans. Oh
1: it's so sad. It's so sad. Who had done nothing wrong. Just stuck them in internment camps, you know, and then we dropped the A-bomb on fucking uh, Japan, you know. <laughs> and, yeah, some, some nice things we've done for uh, people of the world. We're, we're real humanitarians in this country, yeah, you because know, we care about people, right, for their own, for their own good, for their own protection. Um, that's, that's the attitude. But anyway, um, you know, and of course they've been uh, building uh, FEMA camps all over the country for the last 30 years. But they don't um, call them that. Well, they're not called concentration camps anymore. They're called FEMA camps. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we've been under martial law for a long time. And literally, um, all the president has to do is declare uh, a national emergency. And then, literally, the government is suspended. And and FEMA takes over the government, running it out of Mount Weather. And there is this whole shadow government. And people say, oh, well, you're crazy if you believe in a shadow government. And, you know, and like we were talking about before, well where do you think these you know 30 60 trillion whatever dollars are going to and where is it going towards you know and all you got to do is, is do a little bit of research into the secret space program and any any black uh, black ops or shadow programs to to figure out the what's really civilization happening in this world. exactly right exactly right and there are right. people who see? are
0: indeed doing research to say where is this money going
1: well, that's right, you know, and there have been a lot of people who have come out and ultimately uh, paid the ultimate price in the form that they were killed. Look at, um, you know, who Phil Schneider is.
0: Refresh my memory. That name sounds familiar.
1: He, he was an engineer who um, helped build all these uh, DUMBs, which stands for Deep Underground Military Bases. And ultimately, when he realized what he was doing, um, he started speaking out against the government and the New World Order. And he was involved in a firefight in Dulce, New Mexico, because basically um, the the reptilians and the greys, which are uh, different extraterrestrial groups, have really taken over the government. Um, in 1954, under the Eisenhower administration, our government made a deal with the greys, uh, basically in exchange for uh, military technology, that the greys would have the ability to abduct humans and cattle. And obviously you know, they have to... Um, Of course, the government informed about, uh, you know, who they were abducting and uh, how many and all this stuff. And then ultimately they broke their uh, agreement. Uh, Go figure, you know, just the Native Americans, right? I guess that was our karma, (laughs)
0: Um,
1: right? And and the thing is that um, actually uh, Pleiadians um, later – Met with the government and tried to convince them that the Grays were uh, were going to do just that. We're going to trick them, and and basically the Pleiadians uh, wanted to form an alliance with the U.S. government only on the basis that we we literally um, disband all of our nuclear programs and nuclear weapons. And the government said, "Well, screw you. How can we trust you?" You know, and they decided to work with the Grays, and uh, here we are, man. And and so um, Phil Schneider basically they sent in this. Uh, 72 uh, Navy SEALs or, or whatever, this whole, this whole team, including uh, Phil, to basically try to retake the, the underground base in Dulce. And he was involved in a firefight with the Greys, and he actually had uh, a, a huge scar down his chest from where he was shot with a laser beam. <laughs> I mean, believe it or not. And ultimately, uh, Phil was murdered for, for speaking out. You can, you can watch his uh, presentation on YouTube. It's called Phil Schneider, The Last Words, which I recommend everybody check out. But, but anyway, um, so going into back what we were talking about, um, what I ultimately did, like I said, was I involved this, uh, this group called the Citizens Commission on Human Rights. And what they told me is that more and more and more that this stuff has been happening to a wide number of people lately, and their, their telephone is starting to ring off the hook. Because basically, if, if you know the truth and you're speaking out, you know, you are at risk of, of being institutionalized, and the the scariest thing about this is we know how crazy the legal system is. We know how crazy quote the criminal justice system is, and like Jordan likes to say, it's because the criminals are the ones administering the justice. <laughs> yeah. And and you know the reason it's called the court system is because uh, you know you play you play tennis on a court and you play tennis with a racket because it, the whole thing is a racket. I mean, it really is. It's just a big scam and um you know as like you know this show is called uh, secrets of saturn and um you know the the judge wears a black robe because it represents uh, the cult of saturnalia and this is all about the saturnalian brotherhood and saturn is the law and it's what holds you back yes. and the judge rules the judge rules from the bench which stands in latin it stands for bank because it's all about the money and either way um you know they're gonna get paid right so it's all about money and that's what people got to remember but the thing is it's like like aaron russo said it. You know, these people have all the money in the world. So at a certain point, it's not about money. It's about control. It's right. about feudalism, you know? but it's just uh, techno-feudalism, and they just want to turn us all into serfs, and so literally, you know, if you are speaking out, you know, whether you're protesting in person or you're using uh, social media as a platform, um, you know, we know the NSA spies on us, and we know, you know, there are these huge data collection services, you know, with the CIA and the FBI, and literally – all anybody you know, and you know, if you see something, say something. Just like uh, the Gestapo in Nazi Germany, and in Nazi Germany, you could be arrested for thinking un-German thoughts. And we are getting to that point in America where if you are, um, you know, that's what the Patriot Act is all about. It's about um, being able to attack the patriots, and the patriots are the ones who love freedom in this in this country for what it really stands for. You know, if you are for the Constitution, or uh, if you are against the IRS or the government, or any or any of the uh, control systems. Um, you know, the police are gonna fucking tase you and crack your skull in. You know, and that's and that's all there is to it. Or you're gonna end up in a mental institution. And we see plenty of
0: evidence of the coming police state. Well, I say coming the velvet glove well, of the police state right now.
1: And again, it's not called the government state, it's called the police state for a reason. You know, and and it's a combination of the police and the military, and you know, it can only be implemented by force and you know, and that's the thing. They, they were t- saying that they were going to force me to take drugs against my will. And if I didn't take the drugs willingly, you know, that I was going to be in there for a much, much longer time and I was going to have a worse time. And ultimately, that they could uh, inject me with drugs against my will and hold me down and literally force me to take these drugs, quote, for my own protection and best interest, according to the state of Texas. Because it sounds uh, like you
0: were thinking on German thoughts.
1: I was. Yeah, <laughs> you're that's exactly right, Jason. And I, I just want to thank you again for this opportunity to present the story, because you know it's not about i'm just one person and you know my life has significance but what about you and your family and your children not your you know or any, anybody families and anybody's children or anybody you know if you if you don't agree with what the government's doing you're at risk and basically this is the time where we have to make a stand and decide if we want to be free and we want to have rights and what we really believe in and what we're willing to Risk and lay on the line for that because the fact of the matter is that there are billions of us as human beings and there are only several thousand people who are truly at the top of this pyramid and the way that this whole thing is really uh, controlled is by the people becoming the police over the other people. It's by people ratting on each other. It's by people turning on each other. It's like uh, Benjamin Franklin said, hang together or hang separately. That's right. And. You know he 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 was one to know because uh you know he was the uh the postmaster for the British which basically meant he was the spy for the queen <laughs> you know he read all the mail you know mm-hmm. like a fucking snitch and that's uh that's where we're at, uh, snitch on their mother for a dollar basically um and uh pretty much um ultimately what has happened is that i basically uh I was recommended a lawyer by this group of CCHR, and, um, different volunteers came in and, and visited with me and, um, you know, and documented everything that was going on and they have been collecting all of the records. And ultimately, if we're able to, we may sue these, uh, these hospitals because what they're doing is wrong. And I had, uh, th- the reason that I'm able to talk to you today, Jason, is because I, uh, after being, you know, at manager for a week and a half and then being at a uh, Methodist for about six days, I finally had my my hearing today where um, basically I went before the judge and I was able to basically prove my sanity and that I was not a danger to myself or to others. And he he released me on something called furlough, which um, I'm about – I was going to say I'm about to sneeze. Um, Bless you. Well, bless you too, my friend. Um, and basically, what furlough is is that I was basically allowed to be released from the hospital, and now I'm 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 staying in a hotel in Houston, Texas, but that I can't leave the state because literally, you know, and and actually, the judge was was fortunately for me, you know, because at a certain point, you know, your fate hangs in the hands of this, of one person. One person could decide, you know, whether you're going to basically live or die or be drugged out for life or be institutionalized for potentially a very long time. And, and, you know, you might die from being in a place like this because you are being tortured and forced to take drugs against your will. And, oh, you know, you got to go to group therapy and express how you feel and create coping skills and all this fucking bullshit while they're just drugging you out. Why don't you know,
0: describe they, some of the things you were telling me earlier before we began the interview, uh, some of the people you saw, what was happening to them?
1: Well, the thing is that basically they were just turning people into zombies. That, that's not to say that these people didn't have some problems before they were uh, going into these places. You know, a lot of these people were uh, drug addicts or maybe they maybe they legitimately <clears throat> were bipolar or did have some... Uh, Schizophrenia or issues, but basically what they did was they got these people on so many different medications. Um, you know, one of my one of my friends who I met in one of these places, you know, he was a, he was a heroin addict, and they had him on twelve different medications most of the time. You know, and this is a very smart, intelligent kid, and um, you know, he, he a lot of days he literally uh, he was practically drooling, he he was slurring his words, he could barely uh, stand up. Um, you know, because he was – his balance was off because they had him on so many drugs. Um, another kid, uh, he, had, he said he had been to 15 different rehab facilities for coding and he had uh, HIV. And I think this kid was around maybe uh, 21 or 22 or 23. And um, he literally uh, – I, I was telling you earlier, this kind of amazed me. He, he literally – he 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 broke one of his ribs while he was sleeping on a chair because his bones were so weak from uh, probably all the soda and all the drugs he'd been taking. You know that he had an osteoporosis and he just broke a broke his rib while he was sleeping. This is a this is, we're, this is, we're, not, we're talking we're not talking about an eighty year old man. We're talking about a twenty year old.
0: That, that's uh, that's why I wanted you to recount that again because that was just I mean just the thought is horrifying to me that, that these things are allowed to go on.
1: Well, and they and they like I said they forced – you know. At this $30,000 facility, they were forcing everybody to drink tap water. And, um, you know, they would have uh, smoke breaks every hour. You know, all these addicts. Okay, go on, smoke your fucking cigarettes. and um, you What's know, take the other
0: your thing? $30,000, I mean, you would expect that these people are coming from families that are affluent. They they have money.
1: Right, but, but it's not about money. It's about control. And, um, you know, and they just sit you in front of the TV all day. And, um, and literally, uh, you know people, I, I would hear people, um, throwing up all the time, you know, in you know, in the rooms next to me and I, you know, this girl threw up and I was getting to the point where I was feeling sick just from just being in these places and just drinking the water and all, you know, being, you don't really get enough food to eat. And so you're kind of almost forced to just eat the snacks, which are all, you know, GMO and all this shit. It's totally insane. And, um, you know, and people were from their drug them, it's making them sick. And, um, when I transferred over to Methodist, um, the people there were in far worse shape. You know, there were people who literally—they um, looked like concentration camp victims. Uh, a lot of them didn't even know their own names. They—they they were constantly uh, had tremors and were shaking. Um, a lot of them needed diapers and were shitting themselves. Um, the, yesterday, a man was uh, throwing up blood. I mean, these people were literally dying in front of my eyes, and I—I I started to feel like I was dying just being in there and being trapped, and you know, being forced to eat all this. Shitty food and just everything, drinking tap water and everything—it's it's it's so horrible. And literally, um, you know, for my sake, fortunately, I was able to get away with taking almost no medication. The only two things that I—and again, I wasn't quite forced, but pretty much you're under total duress. Where if you don't if you don't go along with the program, you know, they're basically going to say, "Well, you're not complying," and then they tell the doctors, and then they can force you to take drugs. Ultimately, if if they feel like you're getting agitated or you're out of line, you know. And um, the only things that I took, I took one pill called Protonix, which they had given me for my ulcer, which is like an acid blocker, and it totally fucked me up and hurt my stomach. And I was doing, I was doing all right, just uh, you know, because while I was a manager, the only thing that I agreed to take were, were just vitamins. And I was taking um, sodium bicarbonate pills and fish oil and um, some B vitamins. And um, but when I was at Methodist again, you know, I, I had been involuntarily committed there, and they were really putting the pressure on me. And, um, you know, they were saying they're basically, if I just do it willingly, they were going to file the court to, uh, you know, petition me to take it involuntarily and potentially be there for a very long, long, long time. And, um, so I took, um, this one protonics pill, it made me feel very sick. And then when I received, um, my, uh, court orders were basically, they had, you know, slandered me and said all this crazy stuff. And I was upset, uh, literally, um, one of the nurses basically uh, forced me to take a Benadryl, and you know I it immediately it, it totally upset my stomach, and I could feel it in my in my kidney and my liver. And I woke up the next morning, and I was having I was having tremors. And I mean, I know maybe people say that sounds ridiculous. This is just a Benadryl, but no, man. You know, if you look up the side effects for Benadryl, it it's very serious. All these things are very serious, and you know they got people on a lot of these. You know, taking. Twelve or fifteen or however many different medications, and and some of them are taken multiple times a day and very, at very high doses. And so for me, just taking a couple pills made me feel that sick. And imagine what it's doing, you know. And I'm very sensitive to this stuff. Um, but for most people, they don't they don't even have a, a sense at all of what it's doing to them. But it is literally killing them. And um, it's it's really sick. And the only way that I was able to get out was because I, I hired a very good lawyer, who um, you know his. Been dealing with the, who works with the Citizens Commission on Human Rights, which again they're they're a, they're, they're actually a Scientology group, which not that, don't don't let that um, phase you. It doesn't really matter, and they don't they don't push that on anybody at all. And they're sanctioned under the United Nations, which um, which is actually a really good thing in this case, even though you know, the United Nations is a very uh, you know it pretends to be this uh, benevolent. Uh, entity but it's very evil because it's it's really the structure for uh, the new world order um, one world government You know, but anyway that's a whole uh, different story and basically um, uh, fortunately like I said I got out on furlough but the, the Nazi doctors at this organization you know they know I live in California they know I don't really know anybody in, in Texas and they're basically making me stay here for five days because they say well even though the judge let you out and doesn't think that you're a threat to yourself or anybody else, we think you are and so we still want you to be in here and on medication and so therefore, we're not going to outright discharge you even though that's the judge's recommendation and we're going to basically force you to go to this hearing and to see if we can get you committed. <laughs> Unbelievable. And, and so ultimately, like I said, I was already in a bad financial situation and that is why I – even agreed to this uh, nonsense in the first place, even though I thought I was going to rehab and not a psych facility. And I really got just tricked by my mother, and you know, my uncle kind of um, helped in that, even though he was un- unwittingly uh, he was duped as well. And um, and you know, I just got uh, you know, and, and this was all for smoking some pot, right? <laughs> and just but and basically because of the stuff that I I believed in or I knew to be true. And that I openly uh, shared on Facebook, and you know, and talked about to my friends and my family, and you know, and I'm and this is and this is the price that I had to pay. And now, you know, I'm in a far, you know, I had a couple thousand dollars when I when I walked in, and now, you know, I've had to literally pay uh, thousands of dollars for my my legal defense. You know, my mother is not even going to um, give me money to get back to California. You know, I'm now I have to stay in a hotel for five days and, and pay for all my food and all this stuff, and I'm basically. Uh, I'm running out of money, and in this world, if you don't have any money, you're fucked.
0: True enough. Uh, and, have you spoken to your mother
1: since you've been released? Um, I basically, uh, well, the thing is, I gave her one last chance to make things right. Well, and this was before that I was before I was released, and you know, I, I basically said, "Mom, like, look, if you are still willing to pay me to go to rehab, I will go to a rehab clinic for one month. If you'll ultimately do, you know, give me money, or." I'll engage in like weekly uh, psychotherapy, and I'll take um, I'll take lithium. You know, of course, uh, what I wasn't going to tell her was that I was going to take um, lithium uh, orotate, which is a natural uh, version of lithium. So, if you actually have um, you know bipolar, that's what I would recommend anybody take, or or, or something called uh, rubidium, which is a natural antidepressant. So, you know, there are natural counterparts to all of these drugs. In in vitamins and supplements, and you know you can do different uh, holistic uh, approaches like cannabis oil or or any number of things, ayahuasca, or um, you know just different vitamins and supplements, or um, you know acupuncture or massage or, or whatever you know. But the point being is there are, there are alternatives to this uh, Nazi uh, eugenics medicine. Um, but uh, my mother's not interested in any of that. All she really wants is me to be on drugs and me to be locked up and doped out. And, uh, she made that very clear that, um, we no longer had any kind of a deal. And I basically told her, well, that, all right, fine. Well, don't, don't ever uh, expect me to talk to you ever again then, you know? And I basically, um, <laughs> probably my last, uh, communication that I'll ever have with her is basically I wrote up this, um, this, uh, little article called, which I called Mad World and, um, basically trying to warn everybody and I, and I sent it out to, uh, all my email contacts and i you know, pretty much posted it everywhere that I could, um, to, to everybody on uh, Facebook and posted it on all my, on all my pages, um, where I basically tried to explain to people, um, what's happening and, you know, literally how, you know, the people who have tried to do anything or, or speak out against the system like, um, John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, you know, Aaron Russo have all been murdered and, um, no one gives a fuck. And literally, you know, how, how, Uh, we will have a worse fate than the victims of uh, Nazi Germany if we do nothing, which is pretty much what's happening. And literally how, you know, I was writing this all from a mental institution. And then ultimately um, now I have, uh, (laughs) I've started a fundraiser for myself, which I call, uh, which I'm calling Save Russell, because, you know, I have, I've lived my, my life basically uh, in the last couple of years, I've done everything that I can to help everybody else. And now, you know, I need some help or else I, realistically, I'm going to have a very hard time uh, surviving.
0: Well, go ahead and give out any of your information that you want to give out.
1: Okay. Well, basically, if anyone wants to reach me, um, there are several different ways which probably are, are reasonable. You can contact me by my, by my email. It's uh, lucifer, that's L with four O's. That's O's, not zeros. S-E-F-E-R at gmail.com. My Skype address is high on life, highonlife, H-I-G-H-O-N-L-I-F-E. S I N Z eight eight, or you can just search my name Russell Blattberg, and I'll just spell that for you. That's R U S S E L L. The last name is Blattberg. That's B L A T T B E R G. You can uh, send me a friend request on Facebook, and I, I would recommend. I don't. A lot of the time, I don't accept friend requests from people I don't know. So if you if you want to uh, be my friend, you know, maybe just send a message and you know introduce yourself or something, and I, I would be happy to accept your uh, request. I also run. Like I said, I run six different. Pages. One of them is called Mother Earth Medibles. I, I, me and my girlfriend are planning when we're able to to start a uh, vegan edibles company where basically we use organic products and infuse them with uh, essential oils and uh, you know make really high quality um, cannabis edibles which actually you know are going to help people instead of uh, being all sugary and making them sick. You know because if you're a cancer patient, you want to be eating something that's good for you and tasty, right? And, uh, you know, I'm selling, and selling um, you know, Rick Simpson oil and stuff like that. Um, the uh, Another page is called Pleiadian Perspective. Uh, then I run the Jordan Maxwell page. And then I run another page called Gold for Broke. Uh, and ultimately, I'm planning to create a, um, a financial uh, information website telling people about, you know, how the dollar is going to crash. And they're going to crash the stock market. And they're going to crash the bond market. And, you know, really um, – You know, if you're going to invest your money in anything, you want to have it in hard assets, whether that's gold or silver or, you know, you're going to grow your own food or whatever it is. But it's real, real things are going to have value. You know, I wouldn't suggest putting your money in uh, buying a house or doubling down on your mortgage or uh, betting on the fucking Dow Jones or, you know, Bank of America or keeping your money in a bank even is not a very good idea. Um, you know, and a lot of people think, oh, Bitcoin, but you know, Bitcoin is just another, uh, CIA Ponzi scheme, which was really all about, uh, drug running and money laundering. And ultimately they'll crash that too. Don't worry. You know? Um, so you I like the have-
0: idea behind it. Um, I have been suspicious about what may actually be behind it though.
1: Right. Well, it's a, it's a nice idea, but, um, you know, you know, you don't control it and I don't control it. And, um, and so anyway, yeah, I created a uh, gold for broke and we're ultimately me and my, uh, partner will, uh, create a website. He's, he's done a Twitter for it as well. Um, and then there's, uh, my two biggest pages are, uh, cure the world and then plant the seed invest in tomorrow. So you can check out all those pages as well. Um, and then, you know, I have a cell phone, but I, I don't really check it that often. And so, you know, probably, uh. Those ways are the best ways to reach me. And ultimately, if you, if you want to talk to me on the phone, you know, Skype is really a good way to talk because it's free, um, you know, and if you want to talk to me, to me on the phone, just contact me and I'll, I'll give you my uh, my cell phone number and, you know, we can always talk that way. And um, like I said, I created this uh, this um, fundraiser <laughs> for myself just because if I'm going to survive and if people want me to continue to uh give them information you know they're gonna have to support me you know in the same way that i've tried to support them and it's basically um the uh it's on you caring the 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 actual url is com slash other dash uh or slash save dash russell slash 201659 you can find the link on my uh my webs, my uh, my Facebook pages, or any of my other, um, my my uh, actual uh, Facebook profile, or you can just contact me and I'll send it to you. Or you know, look, man, you know, if anybody wants to send me money, um, you know, I can give you my bank account information. You can Western Union it to me. But um, if you want to support me, you know, look, I'm planning to do as many radio shows and talk about this kind of stuff as much as possible because, you know, if they can do this to me, uh, you're next.
0: Well that was the whole idea behind this. Uh, let's get your story out there. Um, I mean, you're a very knowledgeable individual to begin with, and um, we would have been having an interview anyway, but this seemed like the uh, perfect first show because you're right. this happened to you, and it can happen to anyone.
1: Well, and I thank you, Jason, for uh, having the balls and the courage to uh, put this information out there because you know it puts you at risk as well, and I want people to appreciate um, you know what you're doing. In, in this as well, because it's, it's, uh, no easy task to come out and speak against the control system because it makes you a target.
0: So I've heard. And, um, I mean, it is what it is. This is the first hopefully of many. And, um, it's important that this information get out there because this is stuff that's really happening. This isn't crazy conspiracy theory. Of course there's crazy conspiracy stuff mixed in with everything else out there. But I think the, uh, intelligent ones of us out there can kind of, uh, sift through and figure out what's real and what's not
1: well absolutely and and the fact of the matter is that I think that people are afraid to speak out because they're afraid of losing their job, their paycheck, their security you know whatever kind of whatever, whatever they have left they're afraid of losing it but guess what if you do nothing you're not going to have anything left you know you're going to be put in a concentration camp and you are going to be worked to death because ultimately we as Americans are all responsible for the national debt and uh, they're going to kill you and you know or or you are just going to become you know a techno slave and and be part of the uh, the transhuman agenda where you 're going to be rfid would and uh, that's it and if they don't like what you're doing they'll just turn you off your chip and then you can 't have money and you have no identity and I mean look as it is you know without a a driver's license or a state id um, you 're basically a non human you know at this point you can literally be arrested for being homeless
0: yeah, and states are are enacting laws to um, deal with the homeless. In it's, one way or the other.
1: It's very sad. You know, and they set up the homeless spikes and stuff where uh, you got to pay to sleep or, or sit on a park bench. <laughs> yes, I saw that. <laughs> it's crazy. totally it's totally insane. So, yeah, you know, we're just crazy conspiracy nut jobs. And uh, that's why you need to be institutionalized and drugged out for your own good and protection, of course.
0: on german thoughts, my friend.
1: on german thoughts. Well, I think that's a good note to end the interview on. I think and, so.
0: Uh,
1: I just want to wish everyone out there the best and, uh, you know, fight the good fight.
0: Well, this was a fantastic first show. Um, I think we should have you on again recent, uh, as soon as possible to get an update and see where you end up. And uh, hopefully you folks out there will be able to help help Russ out.
1: Well, thank you so much, Jason. I really appreciate it, man. I love you, too.
0: Love you too, man. Thank you. It's been great. Good night, everyone. First show, Secrets of Saturn. We'll see you soon.